You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here with us. So if you've been around Calvary for a while, you know that I have three kids and my daughter Olivia is our youngest and uh, she's 11. She'll be 12 in a couple of months and she is the comedian of our family. She is the funniest person in in our house for sure. And I tell her that she's like bacon because she makes everything better. And, um, And so... Now, her birthday is right after Christmas, and one of the things that Carrie and I do our very best to do is make sure that her birthday is special so it doesn't get enveloped by Christmas, and then people, you know, after Christmas, people are like, just over it. Oh, I'm over it after Christmas. No, but we just do our very best to make sure that uh, her birthday is special. So I remember when, when she turned three, we had this big party that we threw for her at our house, and it had, it was supposed to rain the entire day. Uh, she had been sick the whole previous week, so we had to move the party from one Saturday to the following Saturday so she could get better. And then we moved it, and we found out that it was going to rain the entire day. But she started feeling a lot better. Then uh, it was perfect weather the entire day, and it was really amazing. And we had rented tables and chairs and all these you know, white linens and, and whatnot for the tables and a bounce house for everyone. Well, not for everyone. You had to be under 12, but whatever. Who cares? Um, so anyway... Uh, we're getting ready for the party, and I'm bringing these coolers out that have sodas and water and whatnot, and I noticed that a bird has come by and used the restroom all over the white linens, uh, but you know, I had time. It was before it was getting started, so I take all the linens off. My mom was there too, and I, we take the linens off. We put them in the wash, get them out of the wash. We put them in the dryer. They come out of the dryer. We lay them back out like nothing ever happened. Then I go back inside to get some of the party supplies to bring them out. Another bird with similar intestinal distress has flown by and relieved himself all over the tables again. I grab all the linens. I take them inside. I wash them. I dry them. Bring them back out. Now I've got like 15 minutes before the party starts. And and so I lay them all down. I go back inside to bring some of the food out that we're going to be laying out. And so then I see when I come out with the food, one table, another bird has left its mark on on this table. And I was, you know, and at this point, I don't even care. I I, I just opened up a napkin and just laid it out. I'm like, good luck. I'm not sitting there. And, uh, and, And that was it. And so, and I don't know, I mean, it was probably wrong, but anyway. I don't know how you do this, but at least for me, the way it works, at the end of the day, and certainly the end of that day, I was laying in bed. I was so tired. I'm laying in bed, and I'm just, I'm grateful, you know, kind of like we sang. I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm so grateful, and I'm just listing the things off that I'm grateful for, and I'm I'm grateful that Livy was feeling better, and that God had healed her, and I'm grateful that it was supposed to rain, but God was gracious to us and gave us great weather so we could celebrate her, and I'm grateful for a whole bunch of other things, and then I was just like, but Lord, what's up with those birds? Because that's kind of a nasty business, right? And, and uh, you know, sometimes life makes total sense. And other times, there's just parts of life that we just cannot make heads or tails out of. And, and I think this has got to be one of the bigger frustrations that we have as people. Because if we do something dumb, 
and there's a consequence. We're not surprised by that. We're like, you know what? I did something dumb. Shouldn't have done that. And we just accept it and move on. But then there's other times where we do things, things don't work out the way that we hoped. And, and we're saying, man, but I, I thought that was a pretty good plan. I thought that was a good thing. And I prayed about it. And, and, and I think this is one of the things that makes prayer such a puzzling thing, because sometimes we pray and it's almost immediate and we see God work in amazing ways. And it's so close to the thing that we prayed for. And other times birds are like raining poop all over us. And we're like, what in the world is happening here? Right. And and, and the reality is this, and this, I didn't, I didn't uh, come up with this phrase. It was the late Tim Keller that, that came up with this. But he said this. He said, if we knew what God knows, we'd answer every prayer the same way God does. Now think about that. If we knew what God knows, we'd answer every prayer the same way God does. The problem is, we don't know what God knows. And so what do we do in this, when there's this expanse between what we, our infinite knowledge and God's unlimited understanding? We've got to trust and obey even when it doesn't make sense. And so we pray and trust that what God does is the best possible action, uh, action that will bring about something for our good, but also for his glory. And here's why I want to bring this up, because I want to spend some time talking about this as we explore this chapter in the book of Acts. Now, if you've only been here and this is your third week, you're like, hold on, I thought you guys only talked about the end of the world. Like, what are you doing? And so we, we talk about a few other things besides the end of the world. So, um, but we've been working our way through the book of Acts in this series that we call The Movement. And if you're not aware, the book of Acts is the story of the growth, development, and expansion of the early Christians, the early church, after the resurrection of Jesus. It starts in Jerusalem. It moves to the surrounding areas. And then, as we're going to see starting in the next chapter after this week, that the gospel is going to begin to move throughout the entire world. And as the church gains traction and starts making an impact, you can be sure that the enemy is going to be there to oppose the, not only the word, but the work of God. And by the way, the same thing is true in your life as well. Whenever God is blessing and working, you can be sure Satan is hanging around trying to harass the people of God. And what we're going to see in our time together is that God is not just working, but he's working even through bad things happening and strengthening the faith of his people. Now, let me share with you a very famous verse, right? You've, I'm sure, I, I doubt that there's five people in this room that haven't seen it or read it. And it's on mugs, it's on calendars, and it's, it's, you know, I see it on Instagram at least, you know, four times a week. But it's in Romans chapter eight. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, let me explain that because sometimes we read it and we think like, that means God is gonna do everything I want him to do. That's good. Like, no, that's actually not what that means at all. What it means, the first thing is, and we know. This should be something that we are aware of as believers. It's something that we're not ignorant of. And we know that God works uh, all things together for good. But notice what happens, uh, what's that preposition? To those who love God. It's not a universal promise for everyone. This is a promise for believers that God is working everything out, whether good or bad. It's like, okay, so everything, God is working everything out for whatever I believe is good. No, that's not how that works either. It's, it's to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the good, his purpose. Whatever happens in your life that's good or not so good, good, bad, or ugly, whatever it is, God is working it out according to his ultimate purpose for your life. But that means that we can't drop off halfway through the race. We've got to see this thing through to the end because too many of us as believers, we walk away when it's not all you know, roses and unicorns and everything isn't great. But Je listen, Jesus never promised his followers an easy life. 
Instead, he promised that our lives would matter and that this life would lead to an everlasting one. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. If you have your Bible, your notes, the screen, the app, as long as your eyes aren't closed, you'll see the text. So here's a, uh, start in verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he f- proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when he had arrested him, that is Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. And if you pause there and give me your attention, three things we're going to look at in our time together about what do we do when life isn't fair. The first is, if you're a note taker, is we have to understand that God is working even when life doesn't make sense. Now, this is, if you're, this is a bit of a shock because that, that James, the brother of John, would be killed because James was one of the pillars. In fact, if you read, he was part of what was called the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, when it was just three disciples, it was always Peter, James, and John, the, the three that Jesus was investing in a, a little bit more. And, and honestly, it doesn't really seem to make sense as to why he would be killed or why Herod would kill him. It just says that he wanted to harass the followers of Jesus. Now, as we get into this, and I want to explain this, I want to talk about Herod because there's a whole bunch of people named Herod in the Bible. And you're like, well, who are we talking about here? Because there's several in the New Testament. So which one are we dealing with? Now, before I give you the background, let me just tell you, it's a bit involved, Okay. But if you can follow what's happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can follow what's happening here in the Bible. Now, because if, exp- if, if you can explain this person, you know her? Okay. Now, so we'll do this together, okay? All right. Now, but if you can understand Gomorrah, as my friend does, then you understand what's happening now, because you understand that it's like, oh, that's Gomorrah, that's the daughter of Thanos. Well, that's not exactly the daughter of Thanos. It's actually like the adopted daughter, right? Adopted, that's right. Because Thanos actually killed her parents when he wiped out half the population on, on her planet. And so she was the daughter of, you know, the adopted daughter of Thanos, I guess, until she left Thanos to join the Guardians in the first Guardians movie and then became Star-Lord's girl. But then Gamora dies, spoiler alert, by the way, for a movie that's been out for five years, um, but Gamora dies when Thanos sacrifices her to get the Soul Stone, and that's in Infinity War. But don't worry, in Endgame, there's a rift in the space-time continuum. And the Gamora from 2014 comes into the present, which is then 2023, to um, when the Avengers do the time heist uh, to try to get the in- Infinity Stones back. But see, that Gamora doesn't understand that she's part of the Guardians of the Galaxy or that she's Star-Lord's girl. She hadn't experienced everything that our Gamora that we had been following for so many years had experienced before she dies. So what happens after that whole thing? She just disappears until we watch Guardians 3 and she's hanging out with Sylvester Stallone and the rest of the Ravagers. Now, all right, am I I pretty? Thank you. I appreciate that. I've got a passing grade. Now, how many of you followed that? Okay. Yeah, very good. So you can follow what I'm saying. And by the way, if you follow that, don't tell people you don't watch soap operas, all right? Because you're extremely involved in one, all right? So, okay. So now you want, might want to jot a few names down. Just find some space in your outline uh, because it'll be, you just, anyway, there's a lot. Of, find some space in your outline. Okay. First name is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the patriarch of this family. He was a 
four foot, 10 inch maniac. Uh, this guy was nuts. This guy pretty much murdered a lot of his family because he was so jealous, he was so paranoid that these people were trying uh, to overthrow him. In fact, one of the people that he assassinated was his wife, Miriam. He thought she was, she was plotting against him, so he decides to have her executed. After he executed her, he felt bad about it because he missed her, so he built a statue of her and put it in his house. It's just like, hi, honey. She never talks back. Anyway, and so this guy was not well. He was not well in the head. Anyway, Herod the Great is the guy that we talk about every Christmas. He's the guy that went to talk to, the, uh, that the wise men came to talk to. He's the guy that murders all the babies in Bethlehem. All right, not a good dude. All right. Now, next up is a guy named Herod Archelaus. Archelaus is uh, A-R-C-H-E-L-A-U-S. This Herod is the son, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and he rules pretty much the whole southern area of what's called Judea. He's mentioned one time, and that is, if you remember, that Joseph gets warned in a dream to leave Bethlehem before Herod the Great kills all the babies. He goes to Egypt. He comes out of Egypt, and this is the one mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. It's in your notes or up on the screen. It says, but when he, that is Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, Herod the Great. He was afraid to go there, so being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee. So if you can show me the map. They come out of Egypt, which is right around here. They come up to, this is where Joseph's family is from, Bethlehem, which is about six miles outside of Jerusalem. He finds out that Archelaus is reigning in this whole area of Judea, so they go north to the area of Nazareth, which is a suburb of the area of Galilee. Now, Archelaus has a few brothers that we got to talk about. One of them's name is Herod Philip. Herod Philip is mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. He rules the northeast area. So this area, Galantis, this is um, this northeast area of the Sea of Galilee. This is ruled by Herod Philip. Herod Philip's wife is a woman by the name of Herodias. Uh, Herodias also happens to be his niece, just to keep it nice and creepy. Um, Herodias is the daughter of uh, Aristobulus IV. That is the oldest son of Herod the Great. You, Aristobulus, spell it however you want. Grammarly, you'll check it for you later. And so anyway, Aristobulus was the oldest son of Herod who was supposed to inherit all of Israel as his. But Herod the Great suspected that his oldest son was plotting treason against him. And he ended up having Aristobulus killed in his late 30s. So now that uh, Herodias's dad is gone, she decides to marry Herod Philip, her uncle. However, she decides at a later point in time that she doesn't want to be married to her uncle slash husband, Herod Philip, anymore and leaves him. And you're like, well, you know what? Maybe that's for the best because it, you probably shouldn't be marrying your uncle anyway. And so, but she decides to marry Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, who is Philip's brother. So, this, so if you're keeping score at home, you've got two brothers that now have been married to the same niece. Say what you want about the Herods. They loved each other. And um, so, <laughs> so weird. Anyway, so now Antipas is ruling in Galilee. This green right here, this is, uh, the, this is the area that he rules. Also this area called Perea, which is on the east side of the Jordan River. So he's, uh, he's ruling this, this area. This is what John the Baptist had to say uh, 
about Herodias' marriage to Herod Antipas. He said, For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. And John kept telling Herod, It is illegal for you to marry her. Herod would have executed John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. Now, you might be thinking, but don't you think that a guy of Antipas' age was probably married already? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question because he was, and therein lies a story to tell. Uh, Antipas was married to a woman who was the daughter of King Aratus, king of the Nabataeans. Now, let me give you a, uh, this whole area right here, this was the Nabataean Empire. This, this whole area right here. Now, if you remember a few chapters ago, I know it's been a few weeks. In the book of Acts chapter 9, when, uh, the second half of it, when Paul goes back to Damascus after his conversion after three years, and he says this in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, that he went back to Damascus after three years, but Aratus was trying to kill him. So that, this is the guy we're talking about. This guy was a little off the handle. You know, uh, he would fly off the handle a bit. Um, Antipas, who rules this area and this area, these are bordering areas with the Nabataean kingdom. He gives, Aretas, who rules then in Petra. Now let me give you a picture of Petra so you can kind of say, oh yeah, I saw this in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's right. Except it's not in Alexandria in the movie. It's in uh, Petra right here. Now, they are, because this, the area of Herod Antipas is bordering the Nabataean kingdom so that there's peace, King Aretas gives his daughter to Antipas as a wife. Because Antipas wants to marry his niece slash sister-in-law, Herodias, if you're following the madness, she, he decides that he's going to divorce King Aretas' daughter. Aretas is so insulted and enraged by this that he deploys his entire army and wipes out most of Herod's army. And if it wasn't for a Roman legion that stepped in, uh, Antipas would have been destroyed as well. This, was an, this, this whole um, marrying of his niece slash sister-in-law uh, situation was an international crisis. And John the Baptist spoke out about it, and, uh, and Antipas had John arrested so that his wife slash niece slash former sister-in-law uh, Herodias would feel better. So if you're keeping score, we have two brothers that married the same niece. And then, of course, Antipas ultimately has John the Baptist beheaded to please his wife Herodias. Now, you know how I mentioned before that there was um, Aristobulus was the guy that was supposed to inherit everything and that Herodias was his daughter. He also had a son. His name was Agrippa who was called Agrippa I. That's the guy that's here in Acts chapter 12. Now, if you're saying like, well, you could have just said that and avoided all the other Herod stuff. It's like, of course I could have, but what fun is that? <laughs> Don't you want to hear about all the madness of these people? And it's going to make you feel better with Thanksgiving coming up because you're going to hang out with your family, which some of whom are nuts. And, uh, and you're going to be like, well, at least we're not the Herods. And you're going to feel better about yourself. So anyway, so just enjoy. That's a gift that I'm giving you. So anyway, so here's, <laughs> here's what happens. So this, is the, this Herod, uh, whose name is Agrippa, is the guy who kills James. Now, uh, just if, if you're someone who's read the book of Acts, you're like, yeah, but isn't there another guy named Agrippa in Acts chapter 25 and 26? Yes, that is Agrippa II. That's his son. So when we get to them, we're going to do this whole exercise again. Uh, no, I won't do that to you. But anyway, we'll, we'll give you a condensed version so everybody's cool. So that wasn't that hard, right? 
And it didn't involve time travel. It didn't involve six infinity stones. And we still got there. Okay. Now, so let's back up a little bit. Agrippa. Agrippa is a very shrewd politician. He became friends uh, with the Roman emperor Caligula, who's just risen to the throne around this time, around 37 AD or so. And Caligula, as a reward, he rewards uh, Herod, uh, uh, I'm sorry, he awards Agrippa all of what was his grandfather's empire. So everything that now, you know, his brothers had pieces, but when Caligula rises to the throne, Caligula gives him everything of uh, Israel for Agrippa to, uh, to rule. Now, Agrippa didn't want to fall into the same trap that his family had previously fallen to because the Jews hated the Herods. They hated the Herods because they didn't want to be ruled over them. They hated the Herods because they weren't Jewish. They were Idiomean, which means that they had descended from Esau, not from uh, Jacob. And so they were part of that, uh, that Edomite kingdom. And so Agrippa decided to fix that. He was circumcised. He started observing the Jewish feasts and gave extravagant gifts to uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem. And as the icing on the cake, it's what we see here. To please the Jews, he starts persecuting the Christians. And he just says, How am I, I'm going to start taking out the top people. So he gets James and has him killed. And then he grabs Peter and puts him in prison and says, we'll wait until after the Passover to have him killed. And the reason for that is, is because you couldn't execute people during the Passover. That was a Jewish law. Uh, and you say, and if you're a student, you'd be like, hold on, but wasn't Jesus executed during the Passover? Yes, he was, because he was part of six mock trials. And then they broke every law. Uh, the, the Jewish leaders broke every law to try to execute Jesus. I talked about all of that in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, so you can track those messages down and, um, and check that out. Now, let me, but the question remains, and this is what I want to focus on for a minute. Why did God allow James to be killed? Especially since Jesus had invested so much time into his training. The thing that we have to accept, because there really is no answer, Right? The thing that we have to accept is that sometimes we aren't going to understand the why that God does on this side of eternity. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says it this way. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To put it in common vernacular, God is playing chess, the rest of us are playing checkers. All right? That's what's happening. Now, but there's a lot of things that we aren't going to understand. But even when we can't understand God's ways, we can certainly trust God's heart. So why James? Well, uh, there's an early church leader whose name was Clement of Alexandria. He lived about 60 years after this. And he writes about this event and tells us a story that we don't get. And he tells us that when James was going to be executed, he was beheaded. Um, he called out, there was people who were gathered, and James calls out to his accuser to repent and put his faith in Jesus. And as he's walking, the accuser comes out of the crowd, falls at James's feet and asks for forgiveness and tells him that he has put his faith in Jesus. And the two of them stand up together. He forgive, J- James forgives the guy. The two of them stand up together. And at that moment, both of them were beheaded for their faith. My point is, is that sometimes we look and we're like, how, this doesn't make any sense. And yet that guy that was the accuser finds himself in the kingdom of God today and it makes a whole bunch of sense for him. Um, I, I, I talk about this 
all the time when we talk about God's will. And a lot of times we think, we think in such binary ways, like this happens, so God does this. And it's just like this move, counter move kind of thing. God is doing so many things all at the same time. And I think this is one of the ways that a lot of times we just don't get it, right? Last year, um, it was right after New Year's, my, my wife uh, broke her foot on the top of a mountain in Georgia. Now, the weird part is, is that we were supposed to be there the day before with some friends of ours, but we got busy and then we said, hey, we'll just go tomorrow. And they said, well, we can't go tomorrow. But we said, all right, well, we're going to go anyway. So we get there and it's, it's what, like this kind of amusement park kind of thing. But what the, the big attraction is this tubing. It's this little mountain. You just go up and down this mountain tubing at like a thousand miles an hour and it's great fun. Anyway, so we were there and we were going to take a break and we were walking down the stairs. My wife misses a step and just uh, breaks her ankle. And um, so now she, she's, she's limping, going down these stairs. We get to the bottom, and then we find uh, the medical team that's there, and uh, they bring us a chair, and then um, she sits down, and then you know, the medic is there kind of asking questions. Do you feel this? Do you feel this? Trying to assess what the situation is. Anyway, um, my wife says, listen, Bob, why don't you go get all the stuff? Because we had put a bunch of stuff in some lockers. So we get all the stuff. We put it in these lockers. We walk up, and there's this guy there uh, with my son and I, and he says, hey, Pastor Bob, is that you? And I said, oh, yeah, hey, how you doing? And uh, this, is, this is a guy who lives down here, and um, we, hadn't, we hadn't met. And, um, but we start talking for a couple minutes. He's like, hey, is your wife okay? I'm like, yeah, we saw that. And he's like, hey, would it be okay if my wife went over? I'm like, yeah, go talk to her. She ain't going anywhere. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so we get there and they, you know, we talk for a few minutes and then um, they get us a wheelchair. I go get the car and then I start trying to make an appointment at an urgent care, which by the way was more difficult than I realized. Anyway, so, and then we get her into the car and we start driving away and I just start, and I start saying to Carrie and, and to the kids and I'm like, man, I'm so glad that couple was there. And um, I, I just, it, it was a reminder that God was with me. Because God, I, I just knew that the, if the Lord's people were there, the Lord was with me. And I was in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. I think that was the name of the town. Middle of nowhere, Georgia, right? And, um, and, and, and here's the thing, right? God was with me on top of that mountain. But here's the thing I didn't know. That couple had been going through some stuff. And, and as we've gotten to know them, here's the thing. They've been going through a rough season. And seeing us was an encouragement to them. And I thought it was just an encouragement for me. And it was an encouragement for them. And God was doing a work in them. And, and listen, and all this happened because of a broken foot 700 miles from here. And, here, and this is my point, is that a lot of times we, have no, we think we know what God's doing. And God is, 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 is moving things. And we just have no idea. I tell my kids this all the time, is that God's, God's will is like a six-lane highway. There are so many things on-roading and, you know, uh, coming onto the ramp, coming off the ramp. There's so many things happening. And we see this happen further. Boy, I have, um, I have only done four verses. Um, okay, I got to go faster here. All right. Now, because I don't get me wrong, I'll hang as long as you want. But I figured you guys like you want to be home before dinner, so let me uh, <laughs> let me get let me get moving here because I have a few things left to say. So, verse five. Now, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison or guarding the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, 
and he struck Peter on the side. And you may want to underline that because that is going to turn out to be a hilarious phrase. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment. By the way, I don't think this guy was wearing a lot of clothing. Apparently he had his pajamas on. And uh, like, can you put your shoes on? Are you sure? Can you put your garment on? Can we do this? Anyway, um, so he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. But when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you, when life isn't fair, God is working, even when life doesn't make sense. The second thing is, is that God is working in concert with my faith. Now let me explain what's happening here. Peter has been put in prison, as I mentioned earlier, because Agrippa intends on killing him after the Passover. And it says that he was being held by four squads of soldiers. Now, if you want to circle that, I'll just explain what that means. Uh, the squads of soldiers were four shifts of four soldiers. Two were uh, chained to Peter, one on each arm, and then two guarded the door. And they worked in six-hour shifts so that no one could escape or no one could overpower four Roman soldiers. Now, the angel wakes Peter up in the middle of the night. Now, and, and by the way, um, Peter must have been completely out. And uh, because the angel, it says that he struck Peter. Now, I, I, the word struck, that is, it's only used by Luke. And he uses it in his gospel in chapter 22 to talk about how Peter, speaking of Peter, how he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. This is not uh, the angel whispering sweet nothings into his ear. Hi, sweetheart. It's time to wake up. No, he's like Rocky Balboa. Get up, you bum! And so that's what's happening there. And so, and, and by the way, um, you know, this, by the way, Peter, before he cut off the servant's ear, he had been asleep. Apparently, Peter was one of these guys that just knew how to nap. And uh, he could just nap anywhere. And I, by the way, I have that ability. I can fall asleep basically on command. And um, I, 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 yesterday I had that. We were going to this party and uh, it was like four o'clock. And I said, honey, what time are we leaving? She says, we're leaving at 4.30. I said, I have 30 minutes? Yes. So I was sitting on the couch and I just went like this. And within 30 seconds, I was totally asleep. And then thir 30 minutes later, my wife, she's like, hey, it's time. I'm like, let's rock and roll. Let's do this. Anyway. And, um, and I realized I had this ability years ago. This is before we had kids. I, I, w I went to the mall with Carrie because I love the idea of going to the mall at Christmas. I don't know why. I just, I love it. I love it until I get there. And then I get there and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? And uh, because it's fun for like 30 minutes and then it just is too much and I just want to go home. And so, but we're, she's like, no, 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 we're here now. And I'm like, because I think like, I don't know why everybody buys stuff online. You should go to the mall. You get in the spirit. And then I'm there for 30 minutes and I'm like, why didn't we just have Amazon bring everything? Like, what is the problem? Why do we even have Prime? You know, anyway, so I just, um, so Carrie, I'm holding all these bags and Carrie goes, listen, why don't you just go sit at this bench and I'm going to go to the last two stores and then I'll come back. No problem. I sit down at a bench. There's like three benches there. By the way, all husbands. All husbands holding bags. And it's just like, <laughs> how long are you in for? And so anyway, so um, 
So I sit, I sit down and I've got the bags in my hands. I sit down. And then um, like a second later, my wife is shaking me. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, Bob, you've been asleep for half an hour and you're still holding all the bags. So I mean, I was like, I was totally out in the middle of the mall. And um, anyway, so I understand. My point is I understand Peter because I am like him. So I can, I can fall asleep anywhere. Peter had that gift. But the angel wasn't having any of it, so he hits Peter with a body blow, and apparently that's what wakes him up. Now, we do get a little bit of a detail about where Peter was being held. Remember it said that there were two posts that he gets past, and then there's an iron gate that leads to the city. Scholars are almost totally in agreement that this is, he is being held at the Antonia Fortress. Now, this is the temple. This is what's called Solomon's Colonnade. If you read earlier in the book of Acts, this is where the early believers met uh, in this, this meeting area in the temple. But then the Romans, when they took over, they, they knew that if there was going to be insurrection in Israel, it was going to happen at the temple. So they built this fortress uh, right next to uh, the temple to oversee what was happening here to make sure that there weren't any problems. By the way, this is also when Jesus was arrested by the Romans, this is where he was taken. And uh, when they play all the games, if you ever come with us to Israel, whenever it is that we end up going there, uh, they've excavated this and the games that they played are etched into the floor. Anyway, we'll talk about that when we get there, if you come with us. But this is where Peter was held. And then when he leaves, he ends up there in the old city of Jerusalem. But he leaves and he's an escaped prisoner. And he's saying, uh, I can't be walking through the streets in the middle of the night. So what happens is he picks a destination. Look at verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to the door, uh, came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in to announce that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. But she kept insisting it was so. And so they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, you can imagine how embarrassing that is. We're so excited you're out of prison. Yeah, hey, could you let me in? And um, so, and <laughs> they opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James, that is a different James, that's James, the brother of Jesus, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Now, why is that? It's because in the Roman system, if you were guarding a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, the person who was in charge of the prisoner got the sentence that the prisoner was supposed to get. So this was like an added incentive for that to happen. So a couple of things here that I want to note. There's prayer happening in the house of Mary, and this is happening in the old city of Jerusalem. Um, the mother, the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. This is our introduction to John Mark. He's going to be uh, somewhat of a player in the next few chapters that we read. He will travel with Paul and Barnabas. Um, he is actually the writer of the Gospel of Mark. That is, that is the John Mark that we're learning here. He's very close with Peter. We'll talk about all of that. Um, he is revered in, uh, John Mark is revered in the African church. And uh, there's a wonderful book called The African Memory of Mark that I read about a year or so ago that really talks about how Mar um, this Mark is the one who, the first person who brought the gospel to the continent of Africa. Anyway, um, 
Like how, if you go to the Vatican, it's St. Peter's. Like Peter is the one that's venerated. Um, if you go to the area of North Africa and like Alexandria and Egypt, um, Mark is the one that's venerated. So St. Mark's is the uh, kind of the capital, uh, the big church there. Anyway, um, Rhoda hears Peter's voice and says, it's Peter. And the other people don't believe it and they answer, it's his angel. Well, what does that mean? There's two possibilities. The first is uh, where this is where some people get the idea of a guardian angel. And uh, there's some different traditions on that. There's Jewish traditions about it, Catholic traditions about it. There's a Jewish teaching that says that guardian angels were thought to resemble the person that they were protecting. So, you know, that could be fortunate or unfortunate, depending on the person. And uh, that's not in the Bible or anything, but it is a, a legend. Um, so, but some people will say, no, that, see, it's his angel. That is the angel that was guarding Peter. That's the angel that let Peter out, whatever. The second is, and this is just so you know, this is where I lean, is that the word angel is the word angelos. The word angelos in most cases is translated as messenger. And so what, they're, what they were saying is, it's not Peter, it's a messenger from Peter, someone who had seen Peter in prison and was bringing back word on his condition or whatnot. I lean towards this one, but if you're just, you got your heart set on guardian angels, then knock yourself out. But I just, I don't know that that's really the case here. But anyway, so um, what I want to focus on is that I want you to understand that Peter is knocking at the door of a house where they are having a prayer meeting to get Peter out of prison. That's the purpose of the prayer meeting. And so Peter shows up at their house they didn't believe that it was him. And I, once again, this is something that someday I have to see. And, and uh, because can you imagine Peter knocking at the door and they're like, hey, Lord, we're just praying that you get Peter out of prison. What a bad situation. We already lost James. We're just praying you get people out of prison. Uh, hey, Rhoda, who is it? Oh, it's Peter. He escaped from prison. Hey, stop fooling around. <laughs> we're doing kingdom business here, praying. I, no, it's, it's really Peter. Hey, Stop it. We're going to pray for Peter. No, Peter's not. That just, there is something to me just so hilarious about this scene. And I want to contrast that with Peter's attitude. If you were going to die tomorrow, um, do you think you'd sleep? Like if you were in prison, you were chained to two Roman guards. Um, Peter was in his pajamas. And uh, I don't know if you would be like, I don't know that I would sleep that much the night before. I think I'd be trying to write down, could I get some paper to tell the people that I love, that I love them, to tell the people that, you know, what, whoever, you know, just I've got some messages I need to send out, right? Peter, dead asleep. Like, I mean, not a care in the world. And why is that? Um, I believe that there was something that Jesus told him that impacted, that impacted this moment. In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus has this little private meeting with Peter. And here's what he says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Why is Peter so calm? Because he doesn't think he's going to die. Because he's saying, P Jesus said, I'm going to die when I'm old, and I'm not old yet. Maybe he was my age. And uh, so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so, but he doesn't think he's going to die. He's trusting the words of Jesus that this isn't going to happen until he's much older. And this is what faith is about. Faith is ultimately about 
trust. Faith, and you've heard me say this before, that faith is not a feeling. There's no power in having faith in faith. Instead, there is power in faith, but the power that is in faith is the power in who or what I'm putting my faith in. That is, the object of my faith is where all the power is. It's not in my, in my faith itself. It's in who I have faith in because not all faith is created equal because it is the object of our faith that determines the validity of our faith. And the people inside this house, listen, they were praying because they knew it was the right thing to do, but they weren't ready for God to answer because sometimes we pray like that. Sometimes we pray because we know it's the right thing to do, but we're not ready for God to answer. And I remember my first year as a pastor, I was 24. It was a lifetime ago. I was, uh, prob- this is probably one of the first 10 hospital calls I ever went on. And uh, now it's probably in the thousands, but this was one of the first 10. And I remember parking and I remember um, going up to the room where this lady was who attended uh, the church where I was an associate pastor. And this woman was very ill. And I walked into the room and what I saw, I was so taken back by what I saw. And um, she was hooked up to so many tubes and machines. And when I spoke to her, I sat with her and spoke to her and she said she was in the most pain she had ever been in in her life. I gotta be honest, as, as, as a young guy at the age of 24, I was pretty convinced that this was it for this woman. And, um, and, and I read the scriptures to her and, and went to pray for her. And I gotta be honest, at, at 24, I thought, I mean, do I even anoint this woman with oil? It's over. And don't email me about that, by the way. That was, that was 26 years ago, Bob. So email him. But he didn't have an email address back then. So just anyway. So, but um, I did. I prayed for her and um, read the scriptures to her about anointing with oil and what that meant, James 5. And, um, and I... And I got back in my car and went back to the office. The next day, another pastor went to go see her. And um, I, had, I, I heard that, that he was going to go. And so I went to his office and I said, hey, um, how's this woman doing? And he's like, man, she looked great. All the tubes were out. She was sitting up, eating, making jokes. And I'm like, hold on, what room did you go to? What was the name of the hospital? And I, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I mean, this woman was was, was, I mean, like, this woman was healed and doing, and doing well. And, 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 I was, and then I started thinking, like, what exactly did I pray? Where exactly did I put my hands? Was it like one of these? One of these? Was it like a that, you know? And then, and then is that, but listen, she was healed and I was floored because I was not prepared for God to answer. The, the, the group in this prayer meeting were, were in the same place. They had just seen James killed. And, and they're like, if James got killed, then we're going to pray for Peter to be saved, but there's, Peter's not going to be saved. But listen, you and I have to pray in faith even when we're not feeling it. Because faith is ultimately about trust, and God is worthy of your trust. There was a, um, there was a Puritan preacher in uh, 17th century England named Thomas Watson, and he has this amazing quote that I love about this chapter. He says this, he says, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but prayer fetched the angel. Uh, I love that. Okay, now uh, last thing, and then I'm gonna let you guys go home. Verse 20, it says, now Herod had been 
very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. That was an area that was north of Israel, north of Galilee. But they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, and asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. They had food that came from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're, we're done. What do we do when life isn't fair? We have to realize this, that God is working for real justice. Now, there is a historian, a first century historian named Flavius Josephus. By the way, what a name, right? Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was Jewish, but he worked for the Romans. And he wrote these extensive volumes about the history uh, and wars of the Jewish people. And he actually has this little vignette where he talks about this scene, because once again, the Herods were always newsworthy. So he writes about this, and he says that Herod Agrippa on this day wore a garment that was lined with silver. And so when the sun's rays hit Herod, he literally looked like he was glowing. And so the people started calling him out, saying that he looked like a god because of this garment's kind of unintended effect of making him shine from the sun's rays. And, and here's what Josephus says in his, um, his Antiquities of the Jews book. He says this. He says, Upon this the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their flattery, but as he presently afterward looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was a messenger of ill tidings as once the messenger had been a messenger of good tidings to him and fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose from his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when it had, he had become worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. Now the chapter ends in a very different place than where it begins. It begins with us questioning why God would allow James to be killed. And now we see some justice with uh, Herod being judged uh, at, at the end. And sometimes we see that and other times we don't. We don't see the justice part come into play. We just are left with the question. When we, when we look at the shooting that happened this week in Maine, some of us find ourselves in this place just like this has happened um, unfortunately, in, in the course of our country over the last several years. And we just wonder how God allows this. And by the way, let me tell you something. Those are important questions to ask. And we're like, you know, why doesn't God stop the bullets? Why doesn't God stop every evil person from all of their, their, their evil desires? And um, as we close, I want to talk about this for a minute. If God stopped every bullet and every evil thing from happening, there is a word for that. It's called heaven. And wanting that is a good thing. We're all seeking it. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, not just people, but all of creation is groaning for redemption. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into this topic so we have an understanding of it when issues like this happen in our world. The supreme ethic that, that, that God has given us is the ethic of love. But you can't have love if there is no freedom not to love. So love is only real if there is the freedom not to love. 
and we understand this. If you've been part of a traditional wedding where the pastor says, um, do you take so-and-so to be your spouse um, to the exclusion of all others, right? Abandoning all others. That is that you are saying no to everyone else so you can say yes to this person. It's only love if there is the freedom to not love. And so, and so when we say we want God to stop every bullet and keep every disaster from happening, here's what we're saying. We want heaven, but this isn't heaven. And every day our world reminds us that this isn't heaven. When God created mankind, mankind was given a will. That is the ability to make choices, to follow God or not. And for God to deny a person the ability to make a choice, even a terrible one, is denying that person the ability to be human. The other thing is that when we're asking the question of God to stop the bullet or keep the evil person from doing their thing, um, the reason we can ask that is because we were created with the ability to choose. Because if God stopped every evil thing from happening, we wouldn't even have the ability to ask the question because the freedom of choice would be taken away. And with that, we would lose the ability to even ask the question. So we have the ability to choose because we were created to love God and love other people. This is why moments like these uh, hurt us so deeply. They are an offense to what it means to be human because we intrinsically understand that we were created by God to love and these moments violate our humanity. The Christian is able to love God supremely and trust that there is a meaning to all of this madness because ultimately there will be justice. And by the way, all the people who talk about how hell is this antiquated, barbaric idea, they are all strangely silent right now because they know that if there is no such thing as an eternal punishment, there is no real justice. This person took 18 lives and injured a dozen more, and justice is not him getting one bullet, not by a long shot. Justice is him standing before the God who created him and who was able to dispense real justice and real vengeance on those who thought that they were getting away with something. Nobody's getting away with anything. That's why every time you and I pray what Jesus prayed, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what are we praying? We're praying that God's rule would be on earth the same way God is ruling in heaven. And that day is coming because Jesus is coming back sooner than you think. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality that we can trust and know that you are working, that you are on the move and that your son is coming back and that he is going to establish his kingdom on this earth and all these things that are wrong are going to be made right. So Lord, help us. Help us to trust you Help us to walk with you. Help us that even when things are going wrong, to see what you're doing. And that even if we don't understand your ways, that we can trust your heart. That's our prayer. That's our hope. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin.
Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.